You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The greatest decision of the offseason was Aaron Judge turning down 200-plus million. Hard to imagine 99 in anything other than pinstripes, right? This could be his final day in a Yankee uniform before free agency. Swung on. There it goes. Deep left. It is high. It is far. It is gone. Number 62 to set the new American League record. We are in beautiful, sunny San Diego. Listen, happened at 5 o'clock in the morning last night. The news we've been waiting for is here. Aaron Judge remaining in pinstripes as first reported by J.P. Morosi. <laughs> yes, Lauren. Daybreak here in San Diego. We have significant news. Aaron Judge back to the Yankees on a nine-year deal here. Welcome back to the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, a writer and researcher at MLB.com, joined by Matt Myers, MLB.com National Content Editor. Today is Thursday, December 8th. We are just past the winter meetings, and there might be one, two, 100 different things to talk about because it kind of felt like an old school winter meeting. So we're going to dedicate this show to the wide variety of deals that have happened over the last couple of days. Matt was there in person in San Diego. And I almost feel like I don't know where to start because there's so many things. So here's what we're going to do. We've got three segments to our show. Uh, we're going to kind of start with a little bit of an overview. Our second segment, we'll get into some of the specific deals that happened. And we're going to finish off with what's next. There are free agents unsigned. There are contenders who haven't done anything at all. Matt, you were there. Uh, this is the first winter meetings in person since 2019 due to the pandemic. And I know a lot of people were wondering, like, what would it be like? Would it be this kind of old school winter meetings action? And from a distance, just in the sense that a lot of deals happened, um, it, it sure seemed like it was. It almost feels like a whiplash of, you know, the, say like 17 and 18 and 19 people were complaining they were too quiet and nothing happened. And then they didn't happen at all because of the pandemic and the labor issues. And now this year it's like, oh, yeah, we are going to go spend a ton of money to players who are older than you think. Like it was kind of a nice throwback to, I don't know, 2013. <laughs> No question. Although I will say the 2019 winter meetings, which were also in San Diego, Garrett Cole did sign there. So at least like the, okay. the the biggest free agent of that year did sign at those winter meetings. But yes, there have been years where basically nothing happened. We didn't really get a big trade. I like a big trade. You know me. It's like there's a lot more to analyze. But we did get a, a lot of top free agents coming off the board, which I think probably sets us up for some potential big trades in the coming weeks. And we can get get into that a little more down the road. Yeah, uh, so I think everybody has kind of like jaw dropped a little bit at some of the size of the deals, which I don't think is a bad thing necessarily. So what I did this morning, I went to Fangraphs and um, they do their top 50 free agents each year and they crowdsource, you know, what they think the numbers would be, you know, in medium years in total, average annual value and all that. So uh, when I looked this morning, there were 23 players that had signed who had received these crowdsourced estimates of Fangraphs. And the crowd was under by about 20% on years, by about 20% on total dollars. They're actually right about on average annual value, which was really interesting to me because we're seeing deal lengths that I sort of didn't think we'd ever see again, unless it was a guy like Harper or Machado or like this generational talent who gets there at 26 years old. And all of a sudden we're getting things like 11 years for Xander Bogarts. Uh, the, the fact that some of these deals are going through guys, you know, late 30s, and even into their 40s is stunning. So like Aaron Judge is signed through 39 now. Bogart's through 40. Trey Turner through 40. Just a Verlander through 41, but that's not a big deal because he's already 40 years old. And I think there's a, a kind of a question in the industry is it's like we thought 
we, I don't want to say learned our lesson, but maybe we're educated a little better on aging curves and how you shouldn't probably do things like sign, you know, Albert Pujols and Miguel Cabrera, like into their early forties. And we're seeing it happen again. And I'm not entirely sure which one of these two statements is going to be more correct, right? Is it that the, the teams are doing a better job of understanding which types of players are better to age? Like Trey Turner is Aaron Judge, incredibly athletic guys. They're not necessarily these like first base DH types that Cabrera was, that Pujols was, who probably aren't great bets to age. Uh, or is it just because average annual value is such a bigger thing now with the luxury tax rules that teams are just trying to spread it out for as many years as they can, knowing that they're not actually going to care about this in 10 years? I think it's it's a little bit of both, right? I think basically teams are probably saying to themselves, okay, Xander Bogarts wants a guaranteed you know, $280 million. We're willing to give it to them, but we'd rather just spread it out over a little longer because, yeah, we understand that probably at the back end of that deal, he may not be a very good major leaguer at that point, but maybe he will be. And even if he's not, salaries will continue to rise. And by, you know, 11 years from now, you know, when my third grader is in college and Xander Bogart's <laughs> <Xander Bogart's God. laughs> contract is ending, um, the salaries have risen. Like, it won't seem so crazy in the context of the salaries of that moment. So I think there's probably just a little bit of a little bit of trade-off. So I think that's kind of what it is. Tr- trust me, I saw the length of some of those deals and I started doing some mental math. And I'm like, well, I'm 41 years old. At the end of this deal, I'm going to be, no, 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 not not ready for that. Not interested in that. Um, I think it's 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 generally just really interesting to see some of these teams saying, you know, we want to be in this and we know what it's going to take. You know, like you look at the Yankees signing Aaron Judge. Did they go beyond their comfort zone? Like, absolutely, yes. Do I have some questions about like what type of player who really is going forward? Because it was great in 2022, but he'd never quite been that guy going forward. Yes. But I also think, you know, at least in that case, uh, the PR hit and the irreplaceability of an Aaron Judge was like, we, we cannot let this happen. I will say I have an unpopular opinion. I wanted him to go to San Francisco. I get everybody wants him to be a Yankee for life, get a monument. That's fine. I thought it'd be fun to see him in a new park. I thought that would be exciting. Am I in the minority on that? Um, I'm not sure. I think there's definitely a lot of people who there's a lot of baseball fans who have some Yankee schadenfreude who want to see them like, <laughs> you know, want to see players leave them. And I mean, if the Yankees, I was really interested. Honestly, I was from a team building standpoint. I was really interested to see what the Yankees would have done if Judge had signed with the Giants, because that would have been like, wh- where do you go from there? Um, you could argue that they might have been better served long term by that happening, but I understand all the reasons. And we, you know, um, but I don't think you're necessarily in the min- minority. I think it sort of depends on the player, right? Like he's so tied to that team. There's something like nice when a player that's so tied to a team, I think, stays. I think like to me, that's how I felt about Freddie Freeman, where it's like it would have been cool if he stayed with the Braves. To me, it's a little different with Bryce Harper. He had nowhere when he was with the Nationals, he had nowhere near the connection to the Nationals and their fans that Judge has with the Yankees and Freeman has with had with the Braves. All right, we're going to take an early quick break because then we're going to kind of lightning around each of the biggest deals that happened at the winter meeting. And I'm kind of excited about this because Matt has promised me that we are going to have an argument about the Padres and what they're doing. And I'm really excited about that. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. 
You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. We're back on the Ballpark Dimensions podcast, Mike Petriello and Matt Myers. What we're going to do right now is we're going to kind of go through each of the biggest deals that happened at the winter meetings and break them down. We obviously have to start with Aaron Judge. Here's the snarkiest possible take I can put out on a nine-year, $360 million deal. It's the largest free agent contract in baseball history, and the Yankees have not improved their team over last year. (laughs) It's obviously tongue-in-cheek. Imagine what they'd look like without him. Um, But I do think there's something to be said about the fact that the offense wasn't that good in the second half of last year, and they still have a lot of holes to fill. But if you didn't have Aaron Judge, then I'm not honestly sure what they would have done. I'm trying to think about, you know, everybody likes to talk about the fact that he turned down a contract offer before the season, bet on himself, really succeeded in that, ended up making like $140 million extra dollars. What I don't, what I don't quite know about is, you know, is he the, is he going to be the durable guy we saw the last two years where he played 148 games or and 157 games? Or is it going to be the guy we saw a couple of years before that where he had a bunch of injuries? I mean, that's it's, it's unusual for a guy as large as he is to you know, persist long term. You have to look no further than Giancarlo Stanton in the same outfield to see what can happen. That's the biggest risk I think the Yankees are taking here because when he's healthy, I have no doubts he'll hit. He's like an extremely good hitter. But I think that's that's the starting point for me here. Yeah, I heard a trivia question this morning that I've not double-checked myself, but it came from someone who asks good trivia questions. Do you know who the only player in baseball history to over the age of 37 and more than 270 pounds to hit a home run? I do, because I also follow Anthony Castrovins <laughs> on Twitter. <laughs> the answer is Bartolo Colon. <laughs> it's a fantastic trivia question. And it also assumes that all those listed weights on baseball reference are accurate, which are probably not, because they probably have like, my guess is Frank Thomas was probably, um, and Frank Howard were probably <laughs> both over 270 when they homered in their late 30s. But... You know, they were still with a listed weight from when they signed. So, but still, still a good, good trivia question. I mean, the Yankees, you know, they kind of had to do this. Um, I actually go back to the, you know, the way the whole original contract extension was handled. Um, and like, you know, the Yankees kind of leaking, the, not leaking the offer, like publicly stating what their offer was. I thought that was poor form. That said, I did, I may be the minority. I did not think it was like a horrendous, like low ball offer in that moment. The, the idea that it was like an insulting offer that, that seemed to be coming from some people I thought was weird. Because um, I think like if you look at what Aaron Judge did in 2021, which was a great season, um, he had a 149 OPS plus, he hit 39 homers, he played in 148 games, he finished fourth in the MVP voting. But if he repeated that season, that's, I mean, I'm not sure like where he is. I mean, he would have made, he would have quote unquote made himself some money, but I'm not sure like it would have been you know, 
that far off what that, the previous offer was. I mean, the, the fact that he just had this his, legitimately historic season just changed everything, and not just changed, like, what he could command. It also changed that whole, like, historic tie to the Yankees and made it so much more sort of, like, made it feel, feel so much more desperate for them to to hang on to them. And, and, like, that's just impossible to quantify in any sort of, like, logical manner. So it's like this is just, like, a totally, you know, I don't want to say the, the contract itself is irrational, but the situation forces, like, kind of irrational actions. It makes me think that we really have no idea what players want when we're trying to judge it, right? Because everybody's like, well, he's going to go home. He's going to go play for the Giants. He's going to go home. No, he's going to sign for the most money. It doesn't sound like he did. It sounds like he had better options on the table uh, from one of the California teams, and yet he stayed with the Yankees. So like the next time next winter where it's like, oh, this guy definitely wants to go home. And that's why Patrick Corbin is a Yankee, right? <laughs> I, I mean, I had one of oh, a, a colleague of mine who's a longtime beat reporter say, Players actually don't like going home. When they go to their hometown, they get hit up for tickets all the time. All their buddies from, like, growing up want them to come speak to their Little League team and come to their charity event. They're like, it's kind of a pain in the butt to play in your home city, especially if you're a superstar. I think if you're, like, a maybe a lower-tier player, it kind of gives you some cachet, maybe, and there's kind of a nice middle ground. But, like, for a superstar in your hometown, I could totally see that that side of the coin. But, yeah, you're right. Like, we don't know. Maybe some players do want to go home. Uh, Justin Turner, I guess, is a good example of that. Seems to love playing in Los Angeles. All right, the next one. This one happened, uh, at least for me, overnight last night while I was sleeping. So this was a fun thing to wake up to. Xander Bogarts, 11 years, $280 million from the Padres. The Padres had apparently been in on Judge. They had been in on Trey Turner. They did not get either. I don't know what Bogarts thinks of being the third choice, apparently, but $280 million will soothe all ills, I guess. Um from what I read, he really wanted to go back to the Red Sox. And the Red Sox did not make him an offer that was even close to being competitive to this. And he felt like he had no choice but to go to San Diego. Now there's a ton of moving parts here. So he's going to play shortstop. And Haseon Kim's going to play second base. And Jake Cronenworth's going to play first base. And Fernando Tatis Jr., when he's back, is apparently going to play right field. And Juan Soto is going to play left field. And it's going to be... Again, maybe the most interesting lineup in baseball to watch. Are they good? I'm not actually sure, but they're going to be fun. It's going to be a whole thing there. I guess. I just, I don't, I mean, Xander Bogarts is a very good player. I don't really, this one leaves me, this one leaves me scratching my head for, for a couple of reasons. Um, first and foremost, I think one of them is a, an aesthetic reason. And maybe this is like, I guess this is an AJ Preller's concern um, because, you know, he's just trying to win games. I hate that Fernando Tatis Jr. is not going to be playing shortstop. Like, he made electric plays. He was fun to watch. I understand all the baggage that happened in the last year. That guy should be playing shortstop. And like, the fact that he could end up in right field or left field, like, as a as a baseball fan, as a neutral observer, that stinks to me. Like, remember that, that, that catch he made the other day that, like, people turned into, like, the Jumpman logo where he, like, jumped up and snatched the ball, like, 10 feet in the air? It just... That's that stinks. So from my perspective, and the, not not that not just that, they are now going to probably end up with the third best shortstop on their roster playing shortstop. <laughs> like they're going to move on Kim to second base. Like really, that's what we're doing. And then I guess Bogart's at shortstop, who I know his his defensive metrics were good last year, but they were terrible the year before. And you're also moving Jake Cronenworth to first base, where. He's probably not especially valuable as a player. I guess maybe this is a bet on oh no shifting. We want to be more athletic all over the infield. I I, I don't get it. Well, I don't think all of your points are wrong. Just most of them. Um, I think I'm with you about Jake Cronenworth playing first base, but the first base market 
They wanted Jose Abreu, right? I think if they had gotten Jose Abreu, this all looks very different. They didn't get Jose Abreu. Who's left on the first base market? That's particularly interesting to you. You know, is there someone that's clearly better than Jake Cronenworth? I mean, I don't think so necessarily. And then it's like, is Tatis a better defensive shortstop than Bogarts? Maybe. I think he can be with time, but I think he's terribly inconsistent. It's not going to be available opening day. And you might not have gotten Bogarts if you said, I'm not playing you at shortstop. I mean, that's the thing we don't know. He might have said, you might want me to play third base, but no, I want two more years of shortstop. Like, but, how, how can we know that? But I mean, like, I can you, know, you mentioned that the, the long-term deals before for, you know, it's like, oh, it made sense for Machado and Harper to sign 13-year deals because they were like 26 and they hit free agency. And I totally agree with you because the Phillies and Padres in those instances got the benefit of like the prime years of those guys, like the, their late 20s. And it really paid off. I mean, Harper and Machado have been truly superstars in the first few years of those contracts for the teams that signed them. Bogarts is 30. Like, there's a good chance we have already seen. I would, I'm going to assume we've already seen the best of Xander Bogarts. And now they're, I mean, yeah, it's it, because it's stretched out, like the annual, you know, the average annual value is not that crazy. But like, do I really want Xander Bogarts on my team for the next 11 years, especially in a way that's going to force me to take other star players who are better players than him and put them in, other, like, potentially either push them out of position or off of my roster? Like, that's like now as a result of this, right? Manny Machado has an opt out next year, right? Which he's probably going to do and hit free agency again because he probably, my guess, I mean, I shouldn't say probably, good chance he will. And in which case, then you could leave yourself a situation where, like, oh, well, we signed Bogarts. Maybe we'll just move him to third and we can move Tatis or Kim back to shortstop, which is all well and good. But then your team is worse because you've invested this money in Xander Bogarts. And it's a, sort of like this like backup plan. But he's a backup plan where maybe you could have reallocate, reallocated those dollars to either make sure you keep Manny Machado or try and figure out a way to sign Juan Soto to a long term contract extension. That's a really good backup plan. Because what if Machado opts out and then you don't have Bogarts next year? Like, I'm fine with Bogarts being the third baseman for some time in the future. I, I mean, I think maybe you're underselling him a little bit. I'm with you on the fact we've probably seen his prime already, but I think you're underselling how consistent of a hitter he's been over the last couple of years. The defensive metrics are weird because it wasn't just last year. He was basically the worst regular shortstop in baseball up through 2021. Last year, he was rated as average. And I think you can put some questions into single year defensive metrics, but there's been a ton of articles where he's talked about what he did differently. You know, like pre-play setups are different. The way he spread his feet out are different. I'm willing to, I'm willing to buy there's some improvement there. I just don't know. Uh, I just don't know that you could have had all of this, all these, you know, going after Turner, going after Judge, and then ending up with nothing, I think is a really bad look. So does that make it a little bit of a, a panic look? Maybe. But I kind of think they had to do something with that. That's kind of, um, that's kind of where I'm at that, especially because Machado might leave next year, and then Soto's a free agent after that. But they, I mean, there's there's still some there's still some pretty good pitchers on the market. They could use some pitching depth. Um, you know, it, it, also the other thing I'll bring up about Bogarts, and I know I recognize he, I recognize most players depend. And I would say, you know, generally speaking, unless it's an extreme, you play an extreme pitcher's park, you know, most players will put up better raw stats at home for a variety of reasons. They sleep better at home, they know the batter's eye better, yada, yada, yada. But Fenway Park is especially a park that can be really beneficial to right-handed pull hitters who can, like, just, like, yank fly balls. And, like, Xander Bogarts, he does a lot of that. And he actually has more than a 100 OPS in his career, has a more than 100 points of OPS difference at home versus on the road. And I could also see him being someone who goes to a different park and isn't, like, hitting those, like, you know, 
fling, you know, he has that one-headed swing, which I think is very aesthetically pleasing, where like flicks it off the monster. Those aren't going to be flicked off any monster in San Diego. All right, I'm with you on that. Let's 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 go to one maybe where we'll agree. Okay, eleven years for Bogarts at two eighty, or eleven years for Trey Turner at three hundred. I take Turner every single day of the week. I think the Padres tried to. <laughs> Uh, yes, I agree. I think that, you know, you wrote a piece about how his, he's actually sort of like maybe even gotten faster but not lost any speed over the years. And actually, I generally think, you know, speed players or athletic players like that generally age more gracefully just because they have a lot more to kind of build, you know, to offer than just, a you know, a, a, a one-tool slugger kind of thing. So I think that, like, all things considered, this seems like a, you know, a fairly, I guess, reasonable deal in, in, this, in this context. Yeah, I think... Too many people are looking at the Phillies and saying, well, they got Turner for 11 years. They're going to have Harper for another 11 years. What are they going to look like in 2031? And it's like, well, listen, if we're all here talking about baseball in 2031, then I'm going to consider that a win. You know, I I think people don't consider the time value of money quite enough because you can say, oh, you know, you're paying him. I don't know what his annual average value is, like $30 million a year, right? Well, that's a lot right now, but assuming the average salary continues to rise as it does well 10 years from now maybe that's like the 45th highest salary in baseball that year you know like you're paying him knowing uh that you're expecting i don't know five more star level years and then hopefully like two more decent years after that and if it stinks on the back end well it's probably somebody else's problem that's not dave dombrowski to be totally honest uh i mean good for him I i guess i would put it like this i don't know i'd be super comfortable if my team was uh being this aggressive all the time but from the larger baseball point of view, I am glad that one team is like that's that is a fun thing where we talk about too many teams acting exactly the same all the time, like looking at actuarial tables. And they're like, no, screw it. We're just we have the money. Let's go buy great players like that's cool. I'm with you on there. I've got a, I've got a, a crazy Phillies idea I want to run by you. I think there's yes. this assumption that, OK, Trey Turner, fast guy. We're going to he's going to come here. He's going to be our new leadoff hitter. You know, Kyle Schwarber, thanks for hitting leadoff. But now we'll have the fast guy. He'll hit leadoff. Now, new rules, pitch clock, limits on throws to first. It's going to be a lot easier to steal stolen bases, right? So I think that in many mm-hmm. ways, stolen bases could be more valuable than they have been in a long time. But you don't really want to run in front of your best hitters. So what I'm suggesting is that they keep Schwarber at leadoff and actually have Turner be their like cleanup hitter after the other guy, after Ruimuto and Harper. Because he can hit fourth, in which case, hey, he actually has some pop and could drive those guys in. But then when he gets on, you're actually more willing to want to let him run because you don't have Harper and Realmuto and Schwarber coming up next. And like the value of his base steal, stolen bases will be a lot more valuable. I don't think that's insane. Um, but I think the obvious issue here is that that's not even a concern until like July because Harper's hurt. Right. Harper's got Tommy John surgery. He's not going to play. They're going to be teammates so. for what? The next 11 years? <laughs> well, Kyle Schwarber won't be there for the next 11 years. I guess I see the merit in it. Um, I, I, I do not think you can make the best case in the entire world. You cannot tell me there's a scenario where you have on your roster Schwarber, Romuto, Harper and Hoskins, and that any manager on the planet is hitting Trey Turner cleanup, right? It just, it's not going to happen. It can't possibly happen. You, you want to argue for Schwarber one and Turner two? I, I guess I could see the merit in that. That's possible. There's no way he's hitting cleanup. Like, it's just not going to happen. How about fifth? No, the fifth? You're not paying Trey Turner to not hit him in the top four. What are we doing here? Um, it's a fun conversation. I'm not, I'm not that worried about that happening. Obviously, you have to have Harper come back. But listen. 
What I really liked about this, and let's not let's not fool ourselves. He's signing there because he likes three hundred million dollars, and you know his wife is from New Jersey and whatever. Uh, but I really liked, and I can't remember where I read it. I might have been in the Athletic somewhere. But their run to the World Series last year, where it just seemed like a great environment and the players were having fun and obviously the fans were into it. And, you know, it's the toughest place to play in the world when you're not going well, but it's amazing when you are going well. And I think it was Dombrowski who said, like, all the players we talked to said, I want I want that. I want to be a part of that, which I think is cool. Like that kind of goes to the value of, you know, how much having a good environment, being competitive, playing winning baseball, trying to play winning baseball can help you, you know, roll it forward with guys who actually want to be there. And also having $300 million, that, that helps a little bit too. <laughs> it sure does. Here's, a, here's our next one. Justin Verlander, two years, $87 million. I think it says a lot about where we are in baseball right now, that a 40-year-old pitcher just got a guaranteed $87 million. And I was like, yeah, that, sure, that's fine. I got no problem with that. I think this is one of those outlier scenarios where you have a 100% guaranteed slam dunk Hall of Famer, no question about it whatsoever, who's not like at the you know, tailing off end of his career, he just won the Cy Young Award. You know, he says he wants to pitch to 45. Do I believe that? I don't know. But you just signed him for two years. So if you're the Mets, who cares? You had to replace Jacob DeGrom. It's kind of the only way you were going to do it outside of maybe Carlos Rodon. So it's like, is it a lot of money? Sure. Do do I care? Not really. Is it a long term? No. I think there's a pretty solid bet to make that this isn't going to be a better deal for the team than the DeGrom deal would have been. Yeah, and I think we should, I mean, the DeGrom deal actually happened before the winter meetings, but I feel like this is probably a natural time for us to, us to discuss that one as well. Um, you know, Verlander missed the 2021 season coming off back from TJ, so he actually, he's also been fairly unavailable. But, like, when he hasn't been, I mean, the thing with DeGrom that's been so tricky is that, like, he hasn't had, like, a major surgery and been shut down. It's just been, like, a variety of things that have kept him off the mound consistently, whereas... When he hasn't been recovering from surgery the last few years, Verlander has been on the mound and he's been excellent. You know, last year is as good as any pitcher in baseball and a lot more available. I mean, the Mets would have been a better team last year if they had Verlander on their team instead of DeGrom. DeGrom made 12 starts, right? Um, so I understand. I mean, it's funny, like, I sort of feel like DeGrom would have been a better fit, though. That said, would have been a better fit for the team like the Mets because he feels like more of a finishing piece, whereas. What the, what the Rangers need is someone who a good pitcher who can take the ball 25 to 30 times, not a guy where you're like, we're going to make the playoffs anyway, and we just want to make sure he's available for, for October. That's where I think that that's where that sort of feels like a weird fit for me. I think from a roster building, from a pure like roster building payroll management standpoint, the Verlander situation is a better one for the Mets because they they have you know they they, they now can sort of figure out long term oh when. You know, when Pete Alonso needs an extension and when some of these other guys need extensions, that like they'll be more well positioned because Scherzer and Verlander um, are only signed to short term deals. They will need to start developing some pitching internally at some point um, because they keep having to buy it in free agency. But um, but I think that that, you know, putting aside the sentimentality factor, I think that probably that, that works out well for the Mets. Can I read you four years here? 2004, 2006. 2006, 2003. Do you know what those years represent? Uh, the debut years of the Mets rotation? The Well, the professional debut, not the major league <laughs> debut. But that, that's how long ago Verlander, Scherzer, Jose Quintana, and Carlos Carrasco 
entered the major leagues. They, they all have at least 10 years of service time. David Peterson, uh, 27 years old, is their fifth starter. This is maybe the oldest rotation I can think of. And obviously, they're incredibly talented. But are you are you trusting Carlos Carrasco and Jose Quintana to give you 320 innings next year? I'm absolutely not. And I say, go all in. Go sign Corey Kluber. Go sign Rich Hill. Just put together the oldest old man rotation we've ever seen. Because it's, it's talented. It's going to fall apart. Like, I have no confidence here. Uh, as my friend pointed out, those four guys also all pitched in the AL Central literally 10 years ago, which is pretty funny. Um, um, yeah, I mean, I think I, I, they'll probably, I, I think it sounds like they're the, the biggest suitors for Kodai Senga. And as long as they're willing to kind of keep going over the luxury tax, he makes a lot of sense. I mean, Katana, think about Katana, at least he. He he basically st- he's generally stayed healthy and has a pretty good track record of that. Now whether or not what what performance you're going to get, that's a little bit a little bit TBD. Um, he was a star early in his career. He was pretty bad for a few years. Last year was his best year in a while. Um, so I don't know. But um, what did you think for for Degrom from a Rangers perspective? I think it was uh, the the a weird team fit, kind of as you alluded to, and I just. You're signing up for the second half of the 30s for a guy who's very rarely healthy. And as you said, there's not an obvious, oh, we fixed his elbow. It's Tommy John. We'll, he'll probably be fine. I think it's good for the Rangers to try to you know continue to push forward after what they did last year. They went and got, obviously, the most talented pitcher on the face of the planet. I'm just like, I'm looking at him and Andrew Heaney, and I'm thinking, if you get 170 innings combined from those two guys this year, that's that might be optimistic. That's that's worrisome to me. And the other thing, the other thing I do wonder about Degrom, and is that like when he came back this year, his first couple of starts, it was like two, it was like a continuation. You remember in twenty twenty one, he was basically he basically had like the best like ninety innings of any pitcher ever. He was just out of this world. And then he came back, you know, in his first or second start against Atlanta, he took like a perfect game into like the sixth inning, and he was just unhittable. In September, like. He was fine, but he was like, he no longer looked like a cheat code. And I don't know if that was a blip or if that's just like, hey, he's just like a really good pitcher now when healthy. He's not a cheat code anymore. And that's the other thing where it's like, he doesn't feel, I'm very curious to see what he comes out like next year. Because even like, you know, he was the, he got the the win in the Mets one uh, postseason game, but he was like, okay. It was like six innings, you know. Two runs. I think, you know, it's like he had a lot of base runners. It wasn't like, oh my goodness, DeGrom absolutely mowed them down. So I'm very curious to see what version of him uh, we get in 2023. All right, let's go through a couple more of these quickly. I think if you were to rate the team, uh, the fan bases from 1 to 30, 30th in vibes would be the Red Sox right now. I don't know. Maybe Rockies fans are upset their team hasn't done anything, but the Red Sox are just losing top players left and right. They did make some signings, right? So Kenley Jansen for two years and $32 million is fine. Uh, Chris Martin for two years is great. I really like Chris Martin. They added Joely Rodriguez. I think the bullpen will actually be pretty decent. They also signed uh, Masataka Yoshida for five years and $90 million. There's also a $15 million posting fee that goes to his former team in Japan. So the total there, $105 million. He, I imagine most uh, listeners don't know a whole bunch about Yoshida, so let me give you a quick scouting report based on everything I've read. He has otherworldly strike zone command, right? He does not strike out. Last year, 515 plate appearances. He had, <laughs> that's where this is real, 82 walks and 42 strikeouts. Just wild, right? Hit 21 home runs, and he slugged 559. However, 
first of all, a lot of the, the Japanese guys who come over, the power doesn't quite like play the same way. Like say a Suzuki, I think we saw that a little bit last year. I expect that for Yoshida, the strike zone command will be great. He'll make a ton of contact. But every report I've seen says that he is a, a very below average outfielder. He's got a weak arm. He's a left field DH type. He's not fast at all. And if you think about that, is that an older less defensively valuable Stephen Kwan kind of guy. I, I mean, I have concerns about this. I'm fine with the risk, uh, but man, if he doesn't get on base like all the time, that's that's quickly a concerning deal for me there. I, I don't I don't know what to make of the Red Sox at this point. I, and I'm not sure it's really, I'm not sure it's really salvageable, at least for the next couple of years. Um, you look at that roster and it's just like, there just aren't a ton of good players there. And the pitching staff is still kind of a mess. And the the vibes are kind of understandably pretty bad. I do, I mean, I'm hugely skeptical of the Ken, Kenley Jansen deal. And like the money is not the huge amount of money, but you're clearly expecting him to pitch beginnings for them. He's been uneven the last couple of years. I also think he's exactly the kind of guy who could be really affected by the pitch clock because he's the slowest worker in baseball. No, man. And you're, you're asking this like you know. 15-year veteran to suddenly change, not just change, like drastically, drastically alter. He's often like more than 30 seconds to the plate. He's going to have to cut it in half when there's no runners on base. Like that could really change, you know, what you're getting from him. So I think I was skeptical of like, he was already sort of showing signs of decline before that. So I'm not sure he's a guy I want to commit a big dollars to pitch high leverage innings for me. It it feels kind of messy. And with, with the, you know, Yankees are so good. Blue Jays are very good. Rays are always good. Orioles on the ascent. You know, the, the Red Sox have had this up and down thing the last few years. I feel like it's going to be down for a few years at this point. He is so slow, Kenley Jansen is. You know how when you look at a star and you know that you're seeing the light, but the light was actually emitted like 10,000 years ago and it's just reaching you now? Well, when you see him pitch, you're actually seeing like a 2017 pitch that's only finally completed now. And I make jokes, but I mean, that's going to be a huge difference for him. Like he's the number one guy I'm excited to see about that. With you on the Red Sox, I don't know what they're doing and I don't know what they will be doing. Without Bogarts, I don't think you can put Trevor Story at shortstop. I don't think his arm plays there. But I also don't think you can play Trevor Story at shortstop and Christian Arroyo at second base and just call it a day. This probably ends with them bringing back Jose Iglesias or, I don't know, trading for Paul DeYoung or something like in that kind of realm. That's not going to satisfy Red Sox fans. All right, there's a bunch more I want to get through. Let's look at two starting pitchers who basically got the exact same deal. Tywon Walker got four years and $72 million from the Phillies. Jamison Tyone got four years and $68 million from the Cubs. My initial reaction to both of those deals was identical. Maybe the Mets and Yankees should have extended more qualifying offers than they did because I don't think those guys get anywhere near the deal that they did if they would have had the qualifying offers on them. I think both of these pitchers are somewhat similar. Um, they're righties who don't throw terribly hard. They throw strikes. Uh, they've been somewhat reliable over the last two years, but not consistent. I mean, Walker's had a pair of great first halves, really lousy second halves, and he's kind of the guy who pitches to his competition. I know you had dug up some numbers the other day that showed, you know, against lousy teams, he's great, and against good lineups, not so good. Uh, he's going to be the Phillies' fourth-ish starter, which I guess is fine. They needed to replace Zach Eflin and replace Kyle Gibson, and maybe that's the going rate for, you know, solid but not elite right-handed pitchers uh, for both of these. Do you like either one better than the other? Um, I mean, at least I will say this, at least with Taiwan Walker, I feel like I know what I'm getting a little bit more. I, you know, the last couple of years, he's been pretty consistent, albeit just like, you know, as I like, 
not especially like you know dominant. He did make the All Star team last year, but like it, that's you know as he said, way better against bad teams than good teams. But at least I feel like okay, I kind of know what I'm getting. Tyon's been a little more uneven, but I think he probably has. I kind of feel like he has a little more upside, but I'm not sure. Um, which do you think? Which do you, these, these guys do you think has more upside? Upside, I think Walker does. I think there are some pitch mix changes that could be made. I'm just not sure that I like him a kind of below average strikeout guy in that ballpark, you know, in front of that defense. I just mostly don't know what to make of the Cubs. Right? Like they signed Stroman last year and Suzuki. Great. Didn't have a good year. Uh, they've now signed Tyone. They still have a pretty thin rotation. Like I last I heard Kyle Hendricks is not even throwing yet. You can't rely on him for next year. They still haven't signed one of the big shortstops that everybody assumes they should have signed last year or this year. I'm not I'm not sure what to make of them. Like they're adding, but they're not getting better necessarily. It's a, just a very weird spot they're in. I that that I I agree with. I, it does feel like they should like after signing Stroman and Suzuki last year, it's like, okay, we should if you're gonna do do that this year with so many good free agents, like keep trying to build build up that base especially since like you know the division that they're in the brewers are at best treading water um and the 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 bar to reaching the postseason is lower so i've expected them to sign a shortstop i still think they might um but they did sign cody bellinger maybe this is a good time to talk about cody bellinger i actually think you know that's that's a worthwhile sure you know i have no idea if he can be fixed at this point but i think it's probably like a worthwhile lottery ticket for them the pro, you know but, but I don't I mean, know. It, it was a worthwhile lottery ticket for like 20 other teams the, the, the only knowable thing about cody ballinger well there's two two noble things he's a very good defensive center fielder they'll get good defense from him that's not going to change the only other knowable thing is that anybody who suggests they knows what's wrong with cody ballinger is lying because if the Dodgers couldn't figure it out, I don't have a great deal of confidence that anybody else could. And I've seen some people digging into like his batted ball metrics and saying, well, he's been a little bit unlucky and maybe the shift been up. No, <laughs> it's not any of that. He's just objectively been a worse hitter. Maybe that's because his shoulder surgery is still affecting him. Maybe it's because he played for like an entire year on a broken leg, which in retrospect seemed like not a great idea. I think it's, it's good for him to get out of LA just to get a new voice, like a change of scene, and maybe it'll work out. I don't know that I've got high hopes for it, but I think this is a perfectly reasonable bet for them to take. And if it works, they sign him great. If it works, they trade him great. If it doesn't work, well, I, I don't know what that means for his future, um, but it's fine. The Cubs also lost somebody. And this is a deal I didn't like very much when I first saw it. And the more I think about it, the more I think I do like it. And so Wilson Contreras, the catcher signed with St. Louis, five years, $87 million. And I didn't like it at first because... You know, you kind of thought the Cardinals, who have had two decades worth of Yadier Molina, would want a catcher who's a little more defensively oriented, right? Molina, uh, maybe the all-time greatest defensive catcher. Contreras has not received great reviews of his pitching, uh, pitch handling and all this. And the more I thought about it, the more I like it. And I'm going to give you a couple of reasons why. He's an above-average hitter, like full stop there. He is, if not the best-hitting catcher in baseball, he's like in that conversation. Whereas Molina was unplayably bad at the play last year. I know he's Yadi Molina, bright shining lights, future Hall of Fame or whatever. He has not hit in like five years, you know? And the Cardinals needed some bats outside of uh, Goldschmidt, Arenado, Newpar, a little bit of Edmund. Like they desperately needed some offense. So this is a tremendous upgrade. And when you look at the reason why Contreras has not been well regarded behind the plate, it's not really pitch framing. His pitch framing isn't great, but it's, it's fine. It's gotten better. This may not even be a concern in two or three years. Can I really tell you I know anything about the way he calls a game or handles his pitchers? 
I don't. I don't think anybody outside the teams really do. So the more I think about it, the more I'm like, you know what? I, I kind of like this. They needed a bat. They got a bat. They desperately needed a catcher. If they weren't going to get Sean Murphy, uh, this is probably the next best place to go. I, I totally agree. When you look at the, the, the dollars in the context of, of the other deals that were given out for his track record, it's like, okay. You know, I saw it. I was like, okay, that seems, you know, good for the Cardinals, you know? So, um, I think that they're it, it solid. I mean, it's certainly for 2023, it solidifies them as as um, the favorites in the NL Central. I mean, you think back, you know, the comparison with with Aaron Judge, like, oh, the Yankees signed him. I'm not sure they're any better. The Cardinals at least like addressed a big need with this move and like improved their roster. All right, two more quick ones. Uh, the Giants did sign an outfielder, Mitch Haniger. three years and 43 million dollars. I kind of like this, even though they didn't get Judge. Uh, first of all, they probably still need an outfielder. They needed at least two good outfielders. Hanniger's always been good when he's healthy. The health has been an issue, but I do think people forget that last year, I guess last year now being 2021, so two years ago, he played in 157 games. So it's not like he's never been healthy. A lot of his injuries have been fluky. Uh, he got hit in the face a couple years ago. He fouled a ball off, let's say, a very uncomfortable area a couple years ago that cost him a bunch of time. And I think last year it was a sprained angle. So, like, he's nobody's paragon of health, but the Giants really have had a tough winter of their own. So they got, like, an above-average bat, which I think is fine. I think they desperately need more. Um, but I'm good with the Mitch Hanniger one. Like, good for them. They needed somebody. He's also a Bay Area native. I was sold on this even before it happened, where I I, 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 I should say I was sold on Mitch Hanniger as a good free agent candidate, as a good sort of buy-low candidate, when I read a piece by our own David Adler last week looking at, at, at free agent hitters who might be helped by the new shift rules. And I did not realize the extent to which Mitch Hanniger has been shifted um, over the last few years and just a dramatic increase. In, tw- in 2018, he was shifted in 19% of plate appearances. Last year, he was shifted in 71% of plate appearances, more than almost 95% of right-handed hitters. He on, on batted balls that were not home runs, he batted 174 against the shift and 242 when he was not facing a shift. Huge difference. Um, so I think that he's someone who might get a nice little bump from the new rules um, in a way that, like, the kind of player that's not getting attention around the new rules. There's like, oh, like, some of these, like, dead pull hitters, like, these, these lefty sluggers, people are assuming suddenly they're going to, like, find this new plateau. And to be clear, I don't. I think this is not going to be, like, a huge uh, boon for Mitch Hanniger, but it's like a, a subtle, a subtle way that he may be a little more valuable than we than we think. And finally, would you believe it? The Cleveland Guardians went out and signed a hitter, something we've been begging them to do for years. Josh Bell, two years, thirty three million dollars. He gets an opt out after the first year. And I think if you watched the Guardians at all in the postseason, you just said yes. This team makes a great deal of contact. Everybody loves that they don't strike out, but man, do they really need some power? And they went out and signed like the best possible Cleveland version of this because Josh Bell has power and he doesn't strike out that much. Like he's not some like high whiff, high power guy. And then you might be thinking to yourself, well, wait a minute, that sounds great. High power doesn't strike out that much. How'd they get him for two years and $33 million? Well, partially he's not that great of a defender. He's probably going to be their DH. And partially he's just been wildly inconsistent, right? Like he had that great year for the Nationals in 2019. He had 37 homers, except even that year, it was great in the first half and terrible in the second half. And then in 2020, it was a total wash. And then last year, he got off to a great start for Washington and he got traded to San Diego and he was a total disaster. And I like a lot of what goes into the Josh Bell experience in terms of hard hit rates and all this. And I just never have any idea what to make of him. But it kind of comes down to the fact that the uh, Guardians last year had the weakest DH performance in the entire sport. It will be very difficult for him to not improve on that. And finally, they went out and they signed a bat. 
I don't know how I could be happier than that after, I don't know, six years of talking about it. Uh, yeah, and the other thing else, the, the one point, the, the reason I do think he fits reasonably well is that there are other sort of like slugger. Um, I mean, Jose Ramirez is, is good at everything, but I'm saying like their other kind of slugger is Josh Naylor, and Josh Naylor just cannot hit left-handed pitching, and that was very evident in the postseason, and it really, like when they had to face a lefty, they basically like could not hit home runs. Um, getting Josh Bell, who's a switch hitter and actually hits lefties better than righties, or at least did in 2022, um, at least makes that at least like a fits in terms of balancing out Naylor a little bit. We're going to take a quick break and we are going to come back and we're going to talk about what is next on the hot stove. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. We're back on the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. While there have been a ton of moves, while there have been a ton of free agents signed, there's still some big name free agents left on the board. And there's still a couple of teams, contending teams, that have done pretty much nothing at all yet. So let's talk about a couple of those before we close it off for this week. Matt, the biggest name free agent still left, I guess, is going to be Carlos Correa. So there's two shortstops, right? Carlos Correa, Dansby Swanson. I am guessing that based on what we've seen in the market so far, so far both of them are going to get like 10-year deals which I'm comfortable with for Correa. I'm less comfortable about that for Swanson, who like I like a lot, but on both offense and defense did seem to have like a perfectly timed career year. And if you think about teams in the market for a shortstop, Cubs, Twins, Dodgers, maybe the Red Sox if they're feeling saucy about it. Is there uh, maybe back to the Braves, I guess too for Swanson. Is there a mystery team? Is there another team we're not considering here? Did you say the Twins? I did say the Twins. Yeah. yeah. Um there probably is, but you know, I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure who that who that might be. I think you know. Last week when we had Mark Feinstein on, he I think he predicted Correa to the Giants, and now that they have not signed Aaron Judge, that feels mm-hmm. like yeah, that feels like the logical fit to me. Um, I think it, it just um, that that that's I I sort of expect that to happen now. Obviously, I've been surprised before, but that's the one I expect to happen. Swanson, yeah, I'm I'm with you. I mean, I like him as a shortstop and he'll hit some homers, but he's never been a high OBP guy. Um and I guess going back to the point about the Cubs, like I don't really the thing about Swanson is I don't think he really moves the needle for the Cubs that much. I think he moves the needle for a team that's already pretty good and it sort of like a really solidifies you up the middle. I it's almost if I'm the Cubs and I'm going to go, it's like almost like either get, either get Correa or don't even bother with 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 Swanson. That's kind of my take. Uh, yeah, I'm with you. And I, I saw a couple of takes that said the Giants don't need a shortstop because they have Brandon Crawford. And it's like, what are we doing here? <laughs> like, I know he signed for another year. I know his glove is still good. He cannot be the guy that stands in the way of you getting the next great <laughs> he, he debuted when most like, of the Mets rotation debuted. <laughs> Wow. Wow. Okay. Well, then he really is old. I also heard a take yesterday that said Correa wasn't good because he only had 60 RBIs last year. <laughs> like we have to do better than analysis from 1982. Carl, uh, Carlos Rodon 
is the best available starting pitcher. I guess after him, it's Chris Bassett, Nathan Ovaldi, and then you're down to like, I don't know, Michael Waka, Noah Syndergaard. Rodon would fit pretty much everywhere in baseball, I think. Like, I cannot think of a contending team that would look at Carlos Rodon and say, no, I don't want him. I think he'd be a great fit for the Dodgers, who lost out on Verlander. I think he'd be a great fit for the Orioles, who we'll talk about in a minute because they have not gotten the starting pitcher they badly need. I kind of think that it's going to be the Yankees. I, I, I really do. I think you look at the Yankees rotation and they missed that. I like Nestor Cortez. Like he's very good and that's fine. But um, I think they need another like high octane arm after Cole. And I really like the idea of Rodon there. And I, you, like I said, you sign judge, you still have problems with that division. That's kind of my guess right now. I could see it. I do think what we've, we have seen though, and this goes back to the thing you, you mentioned before about Tyon and Jameson Tyon and Tyon Walker um, not getting qualifying offers. One thing we have seen is the teams over the luxury tax have seemed very wary of signing players with qualifying offers. Um, because then if you're over the luxury tax, you have to sacrifice two draft picks, and that can be pretty significant. Not that they won't, but like unless it's a super duper star, they've seemed they've been pretty it seems like they've been pretty purposeful about that, right? And so that that's that's sort of speaks to, hey, especially the Phillies being like, you know what, like Taiwan Walker, doesn't have a doesn't have a doesn't have a qualifying offer that makes him a lot more valuable to us than he might be to another team. So I'm curious if the Yankees would, at the risk of having sacrificed your draft pick, which hey might be worth it. I think that's why some of these players have had a harder time drumming up their markets because some of the luxury tax teams have been hesitant to give up multiple multiple draft picks. But I could certainly see Rodon on the Yankees. I still, I'm sort of like yeah. We'll we'll, we'll get to the, we'll get to the Orioles in a second. Yeah, uh, the best remaining outfielder is Brandon Nimmo. I think you and I are in agreement that he's probably not going back to the Mets at this point. Like, as every day goes past, that's harder for me to see. I think there's um, there's been a surprising, I don't want to say, like, quietness about him, but I just haven't heard that much about him lately. I, you know, I had him saying maybe go to the uh, Blue Jays. Made a ton of sense. And, like, we'll get to the Blue Jays in a second, too, because they just haven't done anything at all. Uh, but he is a guy who I think... He's a good center fielder. I don't necessarily know that I want him playing center field for the next five years, and you don't have to sign him to do that. You can play him there for uh, a year or two. But if you look at teams who need a center fielder, the Giants stand out here too. Like I actually think he'd be a really good fit for the Giants. Play center field for a year or two, uh, move to a corner. The Astros, I think, would be a really good fit for him. That's kind of where I'm at. The Blue Jays are maybe the number one, but Astros. You just stole my answer. I was good, literally going to say the yes. Astros. I think like the Astros are going to I mean, they feel like if not him... Andrew Benintendi, or maybe they'll bring back Michael Brantley, although he's always injury risk. I think the Astros, in light of Verlander going elsewhere and having a lot of, like, especially on the pitching side, having a lot of, like, low-cost pitchers on their staff, managing larger payroll, Nimmo makes a lot of sense. Dark horse team, not because I think this will actually happen, but because they're a team that has spent just an absolute ton of money and is still only on the periphery of the playoff hunt, Texas Rangers. Think about it. Put him in center field. I know they've got some other good options out there, like Leody Tavares. Uh, looked like he was pretty decent last year. But yeah, I think I like the Astros or the Blue Jays on this one. And, and the last one, guy who didn't play at all last year, so I don't know what to make of him, Michael Conforto, who did seem to make a mistake not accepting the qualifying offer and then he got hurt. He is going to be a really interesting bounce back case. And so there's really, there's maybe nowhere in baseball you can't place him on. And I think the team that keeps coming to my mind, Astros, maybe uh, the Braves, who really need a left fielder because I think Marcelo Zuna is cooked. Uh, Harrison center, Acuna and right, Contreras at left field slash DH in some kind of platoon. Like that, that seems to make sense to me. 
That makes sense. And at this point, I feel like he's not going to get a multi-year deal, so he'll probably end up signing a one-year deal. And the next, if, in which in which case, he cannot get the qualifying offer next year. So um, that's sort of my my hunch of what will happen. But he's he's a huge wild card because he has had some like you know star-level seasons in his career, but it's been pretty up and down. All right. Well, I want to finish off by talking about six teams that have not really done much yet. You think about the 30 teams in baseball. Let's make up some numbers here. Let's say 18 of them have done something interesting. Six of them haven't, but I don't really expect them to because that's the situations they're in. And six are either borderline contenders or obvious contenders. They just haven't done anything of note. Okay. So I have these in no particular order. I want to start with the White Sox who have done very little. Uh, They desperately need a second baseman. They could probably use another outfielder. They have lost Jose Abreu. There seems to be all these rumors that they might trade Liam Hendricks, which seems absolutely nuts to me. I don't know where they are. Like, they have so much young talent, right? Like, they've got they've got uh, Giolito, and they've got Tim Anderson, and Loy Jimenez, and Luis Robert, and all these guys. You can't not be in, and they've gotten a new manager, right? But they haven't done anything, and it just keeps sounding like they're not going to. Is what What should the White Sox do? I don't know, and I don't really understand the Liam Hendricks stuff either, but I guess it's like they feel like they've got a very strong bullpen and they're going to deal from strength to try and maybe save a little money and add some depth elsewhere, but I'm not really sure what Liam Hendricks will be able to bring back in a trade. So uh, I'm as perplexed as you are. I feel like they can all... The flip side of this is I feel like they could add almost anything and it would help them. They could sort of... Their roster is not so set that, like, uh, you know, they're not going to sign a shortstop. They've got Tim Anderson, but it's like there's any number of ways they could go to sort of, you know, fortify their roster. Number two, the Twins. And I think everybody knows that the Twins want Carlos Correa back. I uh, I heard on the radio the other day, Rocco Baldella, their manager, saying he'd actually had dinner with Correa. It's like there's still contact there. That seems to me the obvious one. They've kind of staked their entire offseason on this happening because they don't have a backup shortstop plan. Rice Lewis got hurt again, injured his knee. The starting shortstop for the 2023 Twins is almost certainly not in the organization right now because Jorge Polanco is going to be their second baseman. If not Correa, I don't I don't think they can have a successful offseason. Like you hate to say all the eggs are in one basket. They could use a starting pitcher. Sure. They've actually got depth uh, in the rotation, but they don't have as an ace. So like Carlos Rodon would be an incredible fit there if you don't have Correa. But if you don't get one of those two guys, I think the fan base is going to be upset. Like you kind of have to get one of those or this is a failed winter. Yeah, I don't think they're. I don't think they are. To be honest with you, you know, when we did, <laughs> sorry, sorry, when, Twins we did, when we did when we did our our staff prediction for free agents, I actually predicted uh, Swanson to the Twins because I kind of thought, ah, they're gonna lose, they're gonna lose Correa, and they're gonna try and make up for it, and that's the guy they're gonna sign. Um, and I'm not sure that would move the needle for them either. Uh, probably a little more so than the Cub, than he would for the Cubs. But I, since I made that that prediction uh, a few a few weeks ago, and I've seen actually a couple reports that there's they, there's been some contact, I will stick with it because it seems to be gaining a little steam. Team number three, the Dodgers, who I think everybody assumes should make the biggest move of every winner. I mean, don't forget, they did sign Freddie Freeman last year and they extended Mookie Betts. Uh, I want to point out that they did sign Jason Hayward and Shelby Miller so far this year. The best moves of 2012. Weren't they traded for each other? Yes, they were. I love it when that happens. That, <laughs> that is fantastic. They were traded for one another. Uh, I enjoy that. I enjoy that very much. Now, I've totally lost my train of thought. They lost Trey Turner. They imply they're going to play Gavin Lux at shortstop. I do not think Gavin Lux has the arm to play shortstop. I don't know how real it is that they care that the fan base might be upset if they sign Carlos Correa. 
right? Because of his association with the 2017 Astros team that got caught in the cheating scandal. Would there be a segment of Dodger fans who would be upset? A hundred percent there would be. Is that reason enough not to do it? I'm not so sure. I mean, there was a pretty big portion of the Dodger fan base who was upset when they signed Trevor Bauer for a lot of obvious reasons. And then look what happened there. And they did it anyway. So I think it's something you consider, but I, I mean, I don't know that you let that stand in the way of signing a guy who improves your team by that much. Do you think there's something to this idea that the Dodgers are kind of like, you know what? We win 105 games every year and then we don't win the World Series and people are upset anyway. Why don't we just like run a slightly lower payroll this year, reset the tax, we'll still win 95 games anyway, we're going to make the playoffs, and next year we will be loaded up and in perfect position to go after Otani while... The Mets and Yankees and Padres, like the other suitors, might be a little bogged down on the payroll side of things. Do you think there's anything to this idea? Because in my head, this this is my like the wheels turning of like how this might be playing out behind behind the scenes. Yes and no. I don't think you can wait for the guy you think is going to be there, and that's why the Giants have Mookie Betts and Aaron Judge in their outfield, right? <laughs> like it just doesn't work that way. You can't assume you're going to get Otani. Like maybe, right? Um, I don't think that they're in a position where they're you know, taking a step back. Um, I do think, and I, I think this makes some sense, that they look at their farm system, which is always kind of loaded, and they say, we have some of these guys we just we need to give a shot to play, right? So like Miguel Vargas um, is a a ready now bat who they really want to give a shot to play, you know, some third base, some first base, maybe some left field. They like James Outman, who's an outfielder. They got a bunch of young pitchers coming up like Brian Pepio, uh, Bobby Miller. So like in some sense, you don't want to block all these guys. You want to give them the shot to become the next Corey Seager, you know, the next Freddie Freeman or whoever these guys are going to be. So I don't have a problem with that. I just, I don't think you can sit out and not get one of the big names, right? Like they really need another starting pitcher. And their problem is, I don't think that Chris Bassett is their kind of starting pitcher. I just don't think he's the profile they go after. Are they going to go after Rodon? I don't think so. I think there's something to be said about the fact that they can do nothing and still be good next year, especially since the Giants don't seem like they're doing that much. But, you know, you you don't want to rely on that too much and then watch the Padres go nuts and then overtake you for one of the top two seeds. You know, like right now you can look at that division and say, I don't really think three of you, uh, the other teams are going to be very good. You know, I think I think Arizona will be better. I kind of like the Diamondbacks, but the Rockies are not going to be any good. The Giants have a ton of work to do. Can you just sit there and say, well, we're clearly going to be better than the Padres? I don't know. Can you rely on making a big trade at the deadline? I don't know. I feel like they got to do something. And if it's not Correa, Swanson seems underwhelming to me. It's a, it's a weird spot they're in. Yeah, you 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 follow the Dodgers closer than I, so I'm curious. You know, I'm curious to see what, who you think it's going to be. If you had to guess. I, if I had to guess, it'll be a trade. They'll trade for a shortstop. Who is that? Uh, Ahmed Rosario. How about that? There's my guy. They'll trade for Ahmed Rosario. All right. And finally, the Orioles. Uh, the Orioles have been lost in the wilderness for a half a decade. They finally like made a ton of progress this year, this past year. They've got all the young guys coming up. Uh, Mike Elias, their GM, is on record as saying, we're ready to spend. <laughs> they haven't yet. Kyle Gibson does not count. I refuse to acknowledge Kyle Gibson as the big ticket signing of the offseason. They need starting pitching. And I, I'm, I'm not sure they're a World Series contender this cup coming year, but I also don't care. I liken this a lot to the 2014 Cubs, who were, let's see, 73 and 89, went out and signed John Lester a year before anybody thought they'd be ready to win. They were very good in 2015. 
And there was John Lester there already when you went to the World Series in 2016. I cannot think of a better fit for Carlos Rodon than the Baltimore Orioles with one caveat. If you don't want to put it all in one guy and you want to say, well, I'm going to sign Bassett and I'm going to sign Ivaldi and I'm going to sign Ross Stripling, I think you can make that case, right? But you got to go sign some starting pitching and you got to do it soon. Kind of think, and this I'm going to get a little bit into like soft factors here. I kind of think you do need to go get Rodon at this point. Like you have this momentum. There is something to be said for like, I do think in a situation like this, there is something to be said for like juicing up the fan base. So like, hey, like we're getting better. And like, he's not a superstar, but you could be like, hey, we signed this guy. He's a dude. Like, let's go. We're, we're, we're really trying to improve this team. We said we were going to go out and get some top tier guys and we're, we're doing it, you know, and but like from a like you know war like projection standpoint yeah bassett bassett plus stripling plus Ivaldi might be like a better like you know uh diversify your portfolio play but i think there's something we said at this moment for the orioles where they are to um to make try and make more of a splash before we finish i'm going to put you on the spot one free agent one team what is the next big shoe to drop I guess it depends on how big you think it's going. Like, do you, do you classify? Would you classify Chris Bassett as big? I'm not saying that's my yeah, prediction, I think so. but I'm like, he's gonna get he's gonna get four years. That's a big deal. Um, I think Swanson to the Cubs. Okay, I like that. I'm gonna go with the shortstop too because I think you know Turner's gone, Bogarts is gone. I think Correa is not gonna hold out all winter. I think. He did, he did a good job last year getting like the big one-year deal, but I think he's going to say, okay, but I did that, so now I could get this massive long-term deal. I think Correa is the next one to sign. I don't think the Twins are going to do it. I don't think the Dodgers are going to do it. I've now very much painted myself into a corner where I've started talking about Carlos Correa without actually knowing where he's going to sign. I think Correa to the Cubs. I think that's what it's going to be. I do, yeah. And going back to my point before, frankly, I think Correa to the Orioles, to my previous point, would also make a ton of sense and should be a move they should do, but I'm not sure that one's going to happen. I will say that the next time we do a podcast next week, we will have a lot more to talk about because that was a super fun winter meetings, uh, and I don't think it only just happened because everybody was in the same. I think there's a lot more to come. That will do it for this week's podcast. Don't miss an episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. See you next week.